This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Grab a seat. Hey, everybody. Hey, I'm Kevin, and I am happy to be here uh, with you today. I was reminded uh, recently, I'm going to take this from you, is that all right? Thank you. It's my wife, ladies and gentlemen. She is wonderful. I know. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't do much, but I did what I could. Uh, Hooked her. Uh, I was reminded uh, recently, yesterday in fact, about the gift of community. Whether you've been here once uh, or you've been here a hundred Sundays, we are a community. We are forming uh, this group together that shares life, that experiences all that God would have for us. Uh, and I was reminded about how wonderful community is. Uh, my wife, Maria, uh, went to the grocery store yesterday, and Maddie had just gone down for a nap, and I was spending some time uh, reading and praying and just getting ready for today. And she was at the grocery store and, and did all of the shopping for the week, and she was checking out, and she realized, ah, oh, I forgot my purse. Oh, I can't believe it. How frustrating is that? Uh, and she looked over and saw not one but two people that she knew from church, from New Life. And uh, they jumped at the chance to pay for her groceries for her yesterday. Uh, and so she didn't have to come all the way home and go all the way back and redo the whole thing. That's community. That's the little stuff that makes us who we are, right? We're going to talk about uh, some, uh, some truth that we know uh, in our heads and that we are experiencing in our hearts today. And part of the gift is community. So uh, because we're community, I feel like I need to be completely honest with you. I think I need to ha- confess something to you. Uh, being that we are forming this relationship together, and I feel this bond. Uh, I'm a horrible cook. I'm just going to throw that out there to you. I'm not. I'm not a good cook. I'm bad, actually, at it. Um, My roommate from college and post-college can attest to the fact that I ate fast food probably four nights a week, maybe five, before I got married. And the nights that I didn't, I would do things like um, cut up some hot dogs and throw them in a can of chili and just warm it up. That was dinner, right? And lunch. That was the combination meal for me. It was the combo meal, number one. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, And sometimes I would cook chicken. This was my big meal on the George. The George Foreman Grill was my best friend. It was my number one. Uh, I didn't have any spices, so I just throw a piece of frozen chicken on there, and I just let it go, right? Just let it cook. And, And one day I was talking to Maria on the phone. She was living in Wisconsin at the time. And I said, hold on, I need to check my George. I need to check my chicken. Uh, and I cut into it. I said, no, it's not ready yet. And she said, oh, uh, how come you say it's not ready? And I said, well, there's still that juice flowing out of it, you know, and you've got to wait till all the juice is done uh, for it to be done cooking. And she, she paused, and she said, no, 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 you don't want it to be pink, right? It's supposed to have juice. That's the flavor. That's where it's moist. That's the good part of the chicken. I said, no, you're crazy. The juice is what gets you sick, right? I had salmonella a few years before from all my fast food. I said, no, you got to get that juice out. She said, no, you're crazy. You're crazy. Uh, So I'm just, I'm not a good, I'm not a good cook. But I listened to Maria because she is a good cook. Uh, And so I started cooking my chicken differently. She even showed me some like spices to put on it, like you know, like allspice rub and whatnot. Uh, it was glorious. I never knew chicken could taste so good as it tasted on the George Foreman grill with some, some rub and with that juice stuff just flowing out of it. Uh, and I, I didn't get sick. Now, if I would have uh, said to Maria, no, you're crazy. That's just not the way I cook my chicken, right? My, my chicken needs to be cooked till it's dry. That's how I know it's done. You would say, Kevin, that that's, that's just dumb. You're just being stupid. You're being silly. You're being crazy. Uh, 
you don't cook chicken that way just because that's the way you've always cooked your chicken. There's a better way to cook your chicken. Uh, oftentimes in life, we, we like to go with the flow, right? The path of least resistance. We take this journey and just try to make it through, right? And so we follow the crowd. We do what the world kind of says to, to do. And, uh, and I wonder, uh, do we really want the outcome that the rest of the world gets? Because if we follow the path the rest of the world is taking, uh, it would make sense to us that we would end up where the rest of society ends up. And now I know that, that our culture, our society, we like to put the fun back in dysfunctional, right? I watch keeping, well, I don't watch keeping up with the Kardashians, but I've seen the commercials for it, okay? Uh, I, we like to make it look sexy, make it look fun, right? Do all these crazy things and have this like dysfunctional family. Uh, but is that really what we want for our life? I, I don't think it is. Do you want anger and violence and, and broken relationships with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids? Is that what we want? I would say it's not. But if we take the path of least resistance, if we take the path the rest of the world is taking, that's where we're going to end up. That's just the way it is. If you, take, if you walk the same path as everyone else, you will end up at the same place everyone else ends up. And we're starting a series called Risk It. And Risk It is all about going the other direction. Not taking the path of least resistance, taking the path that might seem a little more difficult, but will get us to a different place. Because God wants more for us than just surviving. God wants more for us than just mediocre life, just making it through. Uh, You know what? All of us will make it through until we die. Regardless of what you do, if that's your goal, it's just to kind of make it through until you die, you'll make it through, and one day you'll die, and and there you go. Congratulations. Uh, But God wants more for you than that. More than just kind of making it through. He wants us to stand out of the crowd. Uh, he wants us to be the little red guy in a sea of little white guys. Uh, I like that guy. It's like he's excited. He's happy. Uh, look up on that screen. That's that fantastic. Uh, he wants us to stand out. Uh, and so for the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about actually going against the flow. Uh, the world says to go this direction, but actually God might say to go that direction. You see, God wants better for you than dry chicken. God doesn't want your life just to kind of be tasteless and uh, no fun and something that, sure, it, it sustains you, it nourishes you, but he wants flavor for your life. He wants it to be uh, delicious and tasty and moist. He wants you to have a life of passion and purpose and calling and vision. He wants you to do more than survive. God wants you to thrive. But in order for that to happen, we need to listen to God. If I told my wife, you're crazy, even though I knew she was a better cook than me, you would think I was crazy. God knows more about life than like Oprah or the real world, right? God is God. He's the creator of life, the sustainer of life. If he says this is the way to live life, even if the world says this is the way, we need to listen to God. So that's the first thing. Over these next seven weeks and actually all of our lives, we would be well served to listen to God. If God says try this, we'd be well served to try it Uh, and see where he might take us. Uh, I heard a quote recently uh, that said, the words I say will never change anyone. Uh, What they understand will change them. And so I'm going to pray in a minute that God would help us to understand the things that he has for us, because these words that I'm saying to you will not change your life, but if God meets you today, he will change your life. So let's pray. Uh, God, would you help us to understand uh, the things you have for us? Today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year? Uh, Would you help us to embrace uh, the way that you would call us to live life? Would you uh, 
give us the strength and the courage to hear and to internalize and then to walk out the things that we're learning, even if that means walking against the way that we've always done it in the past. Even if that means taking a risk and trying something new, something different, taking a stand for something, uh, would you give us the courage to do that? And God, would your spirit uh, move in such a way in our lives that it would bring uh, healing, transformation, power, passion, and purpose. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I am with you for two weeks, and we're starting off this series uh, on two weeks on uh, serenity. And and all I can think of when I hear that is that Seinfeld episode, you know, serenity now, that's all I, uh, okay, obviously you don't know it, so I'll try to find it. It's really funny. George's dad just keeps yelling serenity now, and uh, and, uh, look it up. No, don't, because we're talking about priorities today. So don't spend your time looking up Seinfeld's quotes. That is just a waste of time. Uh, Our lives are busy. Our lives are really busy between sports, kids, uh, school, work, shopping, church, uh, personal hygiene, uh, community service. Uh, Life just keeps on going and going and going. And I would say that, yeah, I slipped personal hygiene in there just to make sure we all have that on our list of priorities. Uh, I would say that life is actually busier today than it's ever been, and it doesn't have any signs of slowing down. Uh, You can probably attest to that. Um, Do you ever wake up on Monday morning and you're already overwhelmed with the week ahead of you and it hasn't even started yet? You haven't even crawled out of bed. Uh, I woke up at 5.30 this morning to a crying alarm clock. It was very exciting. Uh, And I was already thinking through today and church, both services, and then this afternoon getting Maddie home and and getting her down for a nap at some point, and then we have some friends over for dinner tonight, and just already thinking through my day, and then going into this week, and what it's going to mean. We get overwhelmed quickly. There's a lot going on. Uh, With everything that happens in our lives, it's no wonder why we are stressed out. So this week, I want to talk about priorities, about majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors, Uh, grabbing the things that are really important that God would say would bring us rest and life and and, uh, freedom from kind of the, the endless struggle, Uh, And then next week, we're going to explore an ancient Jewish practice uh, that's all about experiencing heaven here on earth. We just did a three-week series about heaven, and this this practice that has been all but forgotten uh, in much of the church uh, is this really powerful expression of experiencing God, experiencing heaven. And I'll let you in on a little bit. We're going to talk about things like feasting, like having just amazing, delicious meals. Uh, We're going to talk about things like um, celebrating, partying, Uh, having a really, really fun time. We're going to talk about things like being intimate with your spouse, if you know what I mean, Uh, because that's part of this practice, this tradition. So get ready. Uh, Guys, bring your wives. You'll want want to hear this. This is going to be really good stuff. Uh, Or ladies, bring your husbands. Uh, It's going to be really powerful. Uh, So next week, get ready uh, for experiencing heaven here on earth. Did you know that this month is National Stress Awareness Month? Yeah, congratulations. Happy National Stress Awareness Month. Uh, How many of you knew you were stressed? Did you know you're stressed? A a few of us? Good. If you didn't, then April's happy to tell you that you're stressed. Uh, April wants you to know that. Uh, You have a week left, so make sure that you really embrace the fact that you're stressed out. Uh, I believe that May is National Who Needs April Month. So uh, (laughs) April's going to get his in the end. Um, But you've almost made it, guys. Congratulations. It's almost National Who Needs April Month. Uh, Next week, we will begin that journey together. If you're not stressed out yet, here's a few stats that may stress you out. Uh, We'll give some context for what we're talking about today. One-third of all teenagers admit uh, to worrying about family finances. 
Two major stresses that kids say they have are homework and teasing. And here's the part that gets me. Uh, 43% of the kids surveyed said that they cope with stress by listening to music. 26% of the kids surveyed said they cope with stress by eating. 22% of the kids surveyed said they cope with stress by talking to their parents. That means 88% of these kids surveyed would rather eat or listen to music or do some other thing than engage with their parents when they're feeling stressed out, when they're feeling anxious, when they're feeling upset. Uh, That in and of itself kind of stresses me out. It's not just kids, though. Uh, 62% of Americans say that they're stressed out about work. Uh, (laughs) I like this. Two-thirds of spoken curse words are a result of stress. Uh, Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, heck yeah. We'll leave it there today. because we're in church, people. Uh, Each year, 275 million working days are lost because of absenteeism resulting from stress. Stress is a very real issue. Uh, Stress stems from pace of life. Stress stems from the choices that we make. But we have to ask ourselves the question, is there any other way to live? Short of just not doing anything, being like Justin and taking vacation for the week, is there any other way to go? Uh, But even Justin is stressed out, right? The poor guy's going on vacation for the week and he's stressing out about it. Justin, this message is for you, my friends. Or I'm going to find you. I'm just going to stare at you the entire time. He's up in the booth. I'll be watching you. Take notes. Before we jump into the sermon, I'm actually going to do something that uh, we don't do a whole lot. We're actually going to take some time and do a little survey. Uh, We're going to have a little uh, community time here. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at how we spend our time. So pull out your New Life notes if you've got them there. And if you don't, we've got a few folks in the back, and in a minute they're going to walk down the aisles. Just raise your hand and they'll get you one. Uh, but I did some math. I'm not a math major, so don't, uh, uh, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure I was right. I believe there are 168 hours in a week. And if we spend seven hours a night sleeping, that leaves us with 119 waking hours. So the question becomes, what do we do with those 119 uh, waking hours. Now, I want you to have some fun with this. If, there, if you don't spend time on one of the issues that we have, uh, then you can just ignore it. Put a zero next to it. But uh, some of the things are, are work or school, eating or personal hygiene. Uh, that should be a good one for most of us. A big one, please. Uh, watching TV, leisure activities, personal time with God, uh, like prayer, reading your Bible, that kind of stuff. Communal time with God. You can at least mark 1.5 hours next to that because you're here. Uh, romancing your spouse. How much time do you spend romancing uh, your significant other? Uh, Family time, household activities, kids activities, community service, serving in the church, or then whatever else you can think of, just fill it in. So we're going to have some music playing, and you guys can talk to each other. This does not have to be quiet. You're not turning this in, so don't lie about it. Uh, I'm not grading you. You don't have to put your name on it, but take a few minutes, talk with each other, write it down, have some fun. Raise your hand if you don't have one of these, and we'll get you one. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, goes a little something like this. Jesus, talking to a crowd of people, says to them, "'Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Two things we need to look at this morning, rest and yoke. Before we get into that, uh, I grew up in Southern California, as you know, uh, and we had an open campus in high school, which meant that you could leave for lunch. And so right around this time of year, it started to get really hot in Southern California, like 90 degrees, 95 degrees, and I loved it. And so my buddies and I, our junior year, would go to my friend Mark's house, and we would go swimming in our 35-minute lunch break. 
uh, and I just remember getting to his house, and we'd ru- we, ha- we had like no time, so we'd run over there and, and just have our shorts on, and we'd be, you know, going crazy, uh, and just diving into that pool on a 95-degree day, and oh, the water just refreshed me. You know, that feeling on a hot summer day, uh, jumping into an ice-cold pool, and just Oh, it felt so good. And so we'd play in the pool and we'd splash around a little bit and goof around. And I was kind of small and skinny, so they'd like dunk me in the water a bunch. And uh, they call it the washing machine. They take me back and forth. But uh, you can pray for me about that later. Uh, And then we'd get out. And we didn't have time to change clothes, of course. So we would just go back to class soaking wet, right, in our wet clothes. And our teachers really liked that. They appreciated that about us. Uh, uh, Mr. Lincoln, if you're listening to this, I apologize. Uh, Mr. Lincoln was my geometry teacher, fifth period, and uh, because he was a geometry teacher, I was in the back, and I'd always fall asleep because I was refreshed then after a nice swim. Uh, and he could take a squirt bottle, and he knew the angle to just squirt it all the way back and hit me right on the face. I mean, this was like at least a once-a-week thing, so uh, I apologize, Mr. Lincoln. Um, but there was something really nice, refreshing about jumping in a pool. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened and find rest, uh, it's not the kind of rest we might expect. Uh, It's not like he's saying, come to me and go to sleep for a couple hours. Come to me and don't worry about anything else in life. He's saying, come to me and be refreshed. That word literally means uh, to find refreshment at the soul level. So it's like jumping into a pool on a hot summer's day refreshes your body. Jesus says, if you come to me, uh, I will refresh your, your soul. I will refresh you to the deepest parts of who you are. He doesn't say, come to me and you can take a nap. We're going to talk about that type of rest next week. But what he's saying here is, come to me and find refreshment for your soul. And that's why we're talking about priorities. We live in a, a fast-paced world, and we can't just check out whenever we want. We can't just take a nap. That's not the way that the world works. And so we have to figure out what does it mean to follow God and, and, and go in the direction that he would say, against the path of least resistance, to find this type of refreshment. And that's his invitation. Come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're burdened. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. And there are three levels uh, of this thing, this yoke. Whenever we read the Bible, it's always got multiple levels. So you can read it once and hear it and think, wow, that's really cool. But the more you dig, the more there is, right? So yoke meant three things during that day. It was this physical big wooden thing that like an ox would wear, an animal would wear when they were plowing a field. That was called their yoke. It would sit on their shoulders and it would distribute the weight so they could plow. Uh, It was also something that humans would wear, people would wear, to distribute like a heavy load of like pails and things, a big wooden beam across their shoulders. This was their yoke, and so you'd see them kind of carrying it like this uh, to help distribute uh, the the weight. That's the first level. The second level, uh, there are right around 630 laws in the Old Testament. God gives right around 630 laws, what it says to follow him. And the people of Jesus' day especially the religious leaders, they thought that God's favor, God's faith, God being good to them, had everything to do with them keeping these 630 laws. And these 630 laws became known as the yoke of God, this, this um, load-bearing weight that the people would have to carry if they were going to experience God. So that's the second level. And then the third one is each of the religious leaders, each of the teachers, 
they had their own interpretations of the Bible. It's kind of like when you come here, you hear myself or you hear Ron speak on what we interpret the Bible to be saying, our own kind of spin on what we think God is saying. I heard someone say recently, the Bible's been written and the rest is commentary, right? We give commentary on what the Bible says. Uh, That was known as the religious leader's yoke. So we've got a physical yoke, this wooden beam, and then we've got kind of this metaphor of God's law being a yoke, but then on top of God's law, there's all these rules that the religious leaders have about what it means to follow God. And the people who lived during Jesus' day were being weighed down by the yoke of the religious leaders. You see, God would say things like, take a day of rest, but the religious leaders would go a step further. They would say, well, in order to make sure that you are actually resting, you can only take this many steps on that day of rest, and if you take one step more, you've broken the law. Or, or uh, on the day of rest, you can pick uh, this up. You can pick maybe pick your child up, but you can't pick this up. Uh, see, they had all these extra laws that they added on, and the people were just dying under the weight of their yoke. It was killing people. It was crushing them. God's law was supposed to bring freedom in people's lives, but the religious leaders were making God's law into this thing that no one could stand under. Remember, the, the yoke was supposed to distribute weight, but the yoke was so heavy that no one could even stand up. But Jesus' yoke is not like the yoke of the religious leaders. He says, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why would he say that? What does that mean? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Does it mean that uh, you only get to take part of what Jesus says? No. He's saying, come to me and take all of who I am. But Jesus took those laws of God and he didn't add to them. He said, this is what God says. This is who God is. This is what it means to follow God. And see, everybody wanted to figure out kind of where Jesus lined up in this whole thing. Because all the religious leaders, they were having these power plays uh, right then. There's this whole like system going on, and, and they're trying to figure out, is Jesus for me, or is Jesus against me? Does he, does he have my back, or is he an enemy? And so they'd be asking him, kind of, what is your yoke? What is your teaching? What does it mean to follow you? And in Matthew 22, Jesus answers them. One of the experts of the law tested Jesus with a question. Uh, teacher, he said, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus replied to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, remember all 630 laws in the Old Testament, and the prophets, everything that the prophets spoke of, hang on these two commandments. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor the way you would want to be loved. That's it. If someone asked you this morning, what are you about? What would your answer be? How would your priority list answer that question? What are you about? What is your time about? What do you spend it doing? When someone asked Jesus, hey Jesus, what are you about? He said, simple, I'm about love. I'm about loving God with a passion that burns deep inside me. I'm about loving other people with everything that God has equipped me to love them with. So what are you about? 
What am I about? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. His yoke is to love God and to love others. I know many of you have heard this before, but has it sunk in yet? Has it sunk into the depth of who you are? Is everything that you are marked by loving God and loving other people? What are we about as a community? What are we marked by? What defines us? What does our priority list say about us? Sure, there's a lot going on. No one would doubt that. Our lives are busy. They're multifaceted. They've never been probably as busy as they are now. And the only time they will be busier is tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. But what are we going to be about? The ins and outs of everyday life, what is it going to be marked by? If, if life happens on the way to wherever we're going, what is our life saying about us? We worked on that priority list earlier, and I want to flesh it out a little bit, because Jesus says uh, coming to him and taking his yoke upon ourselves will give us refreshment at the soul level. So let's look at that priority list for a second. Uh, Work. Work is not a bad thing. We all have to work. Um, But do you look to work to find your refreshment? find your rest, find your joy? Probably not. You can take joy in work. You can take pride in work. Uh, but uh, does work define you? Are you always working? Uh, I was in ministry for six years at the college, Sonoma State University, before I came here. And uh, I was a 22-year-old kid when I started that ministry, and it, it blew up. It, it began to grow really big, and, and people around this ministry circle began to kind of acknowledge me in that and they say, well, look at this kid. He's, he's doing things. He's taking this ministry from 30 people to like a couple hundred. And, and so they, they were just acknowledging me. And all of a sudden, uh, my life became not about loving God and loving people. My life and ministry became about working, getting the next thing done. So I'm not just talking about working in the outside of the church world. It could happen to all of us. It can happen to pastors when we become about the next task and the next task and the next task. When I wasn't working on the campus, I was checking emails. I was answering phone calls. I mean, I was going like... 20, uh, not 20 hours a day. I was going a lot, though. I want to be honest with you. We're a community. Uh, I was going a lot. Uh, It wasn't until I got married that I realized my priorities were out of whack. Uh, I looked at my wife, and I said, well, I I don't have any time for you. That's not how it's supposed to be. Actually, she looked at me and said, you don't have any time for me. That's not how it's supposed to be. I said, I should think about that. Uh, Is your family crying for your time? but you just don't have any time to give them because you're too busy working. Are you defined by work because you won't find refreshment in work? I guarantee, uh, even if you get everything done this week that needs to be done for your job, there will be a whole other list of things next week that need to be done, right? So it's not just about working harder. It's not just about getting more done. That won't bring us refreshment. Or like leisure activities, sports, our, our, our kids Uh, stuff that we do with them, taking them to play sports or gymnastics, these other things. Not bad things. These are all good things, but there will always be more sports, always be more school, always be more gymnastics. And that's not the place where Jesus says we'll find refreshment. Where does he say we'll find refreshment? Well, he says if we do two things, we'll find refreshment. One, if we come to him, we'll find refreshment. What do we do with our kids? Do we take them to Jesus so that they can experience refreshment in their soul? Or do we cart them off to the next sporting event every Saturday, every Sunday, every Monday night, every Wednesday night, every Friday night? What are we teaching our kids if we do that? 
We're teaching them to go and go and go and never rest with God. There are two categories of engaging with God, of coming to him. And I put them up there. Personal time with God. These aren't the only ones, but personal time with God. Let's go back one. Uh, And community time with God. So things like reading your Bible or personal uh, prayer, just kind of thinking about the things of God. What is God trying to say to you? That's personal time with God. And then church or life groups uh, or um, things like connecting with, with other people in the community, going out to dinner, enjoying that. That's community time with God. It was hailing on Tuesday here in Petaluma. Did you guys notice that? It started hailing on us for a few minutes. And I got to be honest, I was pretty stuck in my sermon. Uh, I had stared at the screen for about two hours at that point and had about a page and a half written. So I thought, I'm going to go stand in the rain, in the hail, because why not? You know, uh, it seems like a fun thing to do. So I went outside, and it was big hail. I mean, really big, like, you know, a pea or something. And I just stood out there, and the ladies downstairs, the secretaries were kind of watching me like, what a weirdo. Uh, but I'm just standing there in the rain, just kind of soaking it in. And I walked back inside, and you know what? I was wet. I was like, I was really wet. Was I angry that I was wet? No, I went outside in the rain. Was I surprised that I was wet? No, it's hailing. I went outside in the hail. If you go out in the rain, you expect to get wet. Jesus says, come to me and you will find refreshment. Do we expect to find refreshment when we come to Jesus? It's like walking out in the rain. When you walk out in the rain, you will get wet. When you come to Jesus, you will find refreshment for your soul. He promises it. So how often do we come to him? The invitation is a continual one. Come to me, come to me, come to me all the time. Are we coming to him all the time to find refreshment? When I was working with those college folks, uh, right around midterms every year and finals every year, the ministry dropped. I mean, everyone just kind of stayed in their corners, went to their dorms and studied. And I'd ask the students, like, where have you been? Oh, it's just so busy. I got all these tests and this homework and I, uh, you know, and I got to go to In-N-Out at like 2 a.m. It's just really busy right now, you know. Uh, I just can't come and engage with God. I can't go to Bible study. I can't spend time with him. I can't come and worship. And I said, now is the time when you have to engage with God. Now is the time when you have to go to Bible study. You have to worship because you'll find refreshment in that. But I don't think it's limited to college students. How many times have we sat around and thought, man, I would love to go to church, or I'd love to crack my Bible and pray, or I'd love to go to life group, but I'm just so busy, I can't. What we're saying is we don't believe that God will give us rest in that experience. What we're saying is that we believe that doing more work will ultimately give us rest, but it's just not true. Coming to Jesus will give us rest. And then the second thing we can do to find refreshment for our souls is to love other people. I mean, truly, deeply love other people. A few weeks ago, I was uh, helping some friends move out of their house. And uh, Maria had been gone uh, on Friday. I I have Fridays and Saturdays off. She was gone on Friday for most of the time. And then Saturday, I was moving these guys. And Sunday, I was uh, preaching. And so it was a busy time. And we're lifting these heavy boxes and stuff, you know, like 25 pounds or something, you know, really heavy boxes. Um, At the end of the day, I was tired, like dog tired. But I was refreshed in my soul. I can't even explain it to you. You have to try it out. Uh, Something in me, was refreshed, was awakened because I was loving other people. 
I was choosing to take my time and to really do something to care for someone. Loving God and loving others will rarely equate to getting a nap. You just need to know that. But it will refresh you at the depth of your soul. So I have a question. Are you, uh, are you ready to let God teach you how to cook your chicken? Right? Are you tired of eating dry chicken? Are you tired of, of being worn out at the soul level? I can't promise you you'll get 10 hours of sleep if you follow Jesus. I can't. Now, you can. If you set your priorities up straight, you can get 10 hours if you, you know, ship the kids off to the grandparents' house. Um, but what I can promise you is rest at the deepest part of who you are. It's like diving into a nice cold pool on a hot day, except instead of cooling your body down, it refreshes your soul. If you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God, that's the first thing he wants you to do. He says, just come. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Just come. Come now. Come, everybody. It's, it's the best thing you could do. God's great desire for you is that you would come to him and experience a deep level of refreshment, of rest at your soul level. But you got to come. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.